0: Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast brought to you live Right now, we are live on Facebook, and I am so honored to have this guest with me here. His name is Mark Evans, the author of one of my new favorite books right here, Mark, The 10-Minute Business Owner. Mark's written a lot of good books, um, but this one I like a lot because he talks about experiencing freedom, building wealth, and creating a life worth living. It's not just about the money. It's about the things that the money can buy you. It's about the freedom. It's about the time with the family. It's uh, doing the things you love to do. It's not about working 60, 70, 80, 100 hours a week. It's not about the hustle or the grind, right? It's about just living life, man. And uh, it's Mark is, I think of all the guys that I know in the real estate investing business, Mark is one of those guys way up there. I was like, man, I want to be like Mark someday. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to be like Mark when I grow up. How you doing, Mark? Great, Joe. How are you doing, buddy? Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm glad to have you here. We've been friends for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's funny, guys, Mark is a uh, he's a world traveler, right? Been all over the world. And he calls me up a few years ago and says, hey, I'm going to be in St. Louis. You want to have lunch? Heck yeah. What are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to be there for a couple months. I'm like, what? Why? He goes, well, you know, just traveling around the world. And so he, I think it was maybe a month. Weren't you here for? Yeah, it, four, it for like low, 40 days. Yep. 40 days. And uh, this was right when Airbnb, I think, started coming on the scene. And, and uh, he found this great place to stay in like one of the nicest, swankiest parts of, of St. Louis. <laughs> and uh, he had his Rolls Royce, or is it your Bentley? One of those two? Rolls. Shipped to St. Louis so he could drive it around while he was here, you know. And, uh, but I got to spend some time, cool time with Mark while he was here and his beautiful wife, Deanna, who's amazing. And I I think she's the better, smarter half, Mark. Does people tell you that? Well, all the time because it's the truth. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Good. And uh, so Mark is also known as the DM, the deal maker. He's doing a ton of deals right now. And I think you're in Ohio right now, right?
1: Yep. That's all. Yeah. I've been here 22 years.
0: Right. Um, But your main home base is in Florida, right? Yeah.
1: Palm Beach, Florida is where the office is at.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, can I ask you some questions about like how you got started in the business?
1: Absolutely. I uh, I stayed up all night studying for this, so I'm ready.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. So, uh, how'd you get started in real estate? And you talk about, by the way, let me tell you guys, go to get this book, The 10-Minute Business Owner. You get it on Kindle. Or do you have a website, Mark? People can go and get it right now?
1: Well, again, go to Amazon and get it right there. I mean, Amazon's the hub for all that stuff. So, no need for me to create a website and all that. It's uh, on Amazon. And what's cool about that too is all 100% of the net proceeds go to charity as well, Joe. So it's a nice. cool thing. So I appreciate you sharing that.
0: Right. So you, Mark talks a lot about in this book uh, how he got started in the business. But I was hoping you could share that, Mark, with, um, you know, you, you you grew up with not much, right? And, yeah. Uh, you came from nothing. But talk about that.
1: Yeah, man. Listen, I have amazing parents. You know, I grew up small town, Ohio, our east of Columbus and uh, laying in bed dreaming about making 100 grand a year. You know, I'd figure out like, you know, okay, it takes, if I can make 20 bucks an hour at this many hours and this many months and this money year, this much uh, time in the year, I can make a hundred thousand dollars. And then you make a hundred grand. You're like, please, Lord, if I can make 500 grand, you know, you play that game with yourself, but small town, trying to figure it out. uh, Barely graduated high school, never went to college. I always was kind of a hustler though, like kind of had like, you know, how do I, you know, how can I do more, be more, have more and all that fun stuff and just try to navigate that. in real estate for me, honestly, Joe's the equalizer of dummies. There's a lot of people in real estate that are not that smart, including myself. Um, it's just that we have skill set that we've created over the last 22 years to allow us to go out, find deals, put the deal under contract, actually close the deal and make money. Nice. Well, what got you started into real estate? Why did you figure, how did you figure that out? true story. I was like, I said, it's uh, you know, I was living with my parents. I was 18 years old, just getting ready to graduate high school actually. And I saw an infomercial. Russ was on TV. It's like, get rich in real estate, blah, 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 blah. And to me, it just made sense. Real estate, you could touch, see it and fill it. Everyone has a house they need to live in. And it really wasn't about like, could I, I, I didn't have all those questions like, well, I have no money. I have no credit. It's like, how do I do this? I started figuring out becoming resourcefulness and I had a seamless gutter company, a little contracting company, two days after high school. So what happened is these guys would pull up in a Porsche and a cigar, hand me some cash to do gutters. And I'm like, what do you guys do? They're like, oh, we're investors. We're real estate investors. They kept saying that. And again, I'm not that smart, but after I hear three or four times, I'm like, well, I should probably look into this deeper. And then I went to a two-day, three-day seminar, and I spent every dime I had to go and some. And I was like, I got to figure this out. And I saw him make a phone call. It's a true story. I saw him make a phone call and the lady's like, I'm done. We're getting a divorce. Just take my house. And I was like, I can do that. I didn't need to learn anything else. I was like ready to go. Was this
0: uh, Russ Whitney? Yep. Wow. What year was that? 1996. Wow. You know what, Mark? I- I've said this often so many times. Gurus get a bad rap, you know, like everybody is targeting them, bl- you know, blasting them, saying they're just selling courses to make money. They make more money selling courses, you know, and and they, and they, it's easy to criticize and pull down the guy at the top. But you know what? I thank God for gurus because if it wasn't for the risk, Russ Whitney's, the uh, Carlton Sheets, the Ron LeGrands, you know, you can name five or ten other, the 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 Tom Vu's. Remember Tom Vu? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for now, I don't know about Tom Vu, but right? but if it wasn't for those kinds of guys, like I would have never learned about real estate. Right. You know, you wouldn't have learned about it. You wouldn't have taught the people that you've taught who do about, who know who are doing it now, who are making six, seven figures a year, who are living the lives that they want to live because of real estate. So I love hearing those stories of, of people that get started like that. You know what I'm saying? Would you agree? Well, no, I agree hundred percent.
1: I think the reason a lot of people talk smack about them is because they like to look to blame someone else, right? It's like, oh, it didn't work. Like, and you've talked to a lot of people over the years to coach them. Yeah. I always love the person. It's like, I've taken five courses. They've all ripped me off. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, five times you've been ripped off. Maybe it's, maybe there's a common thread in these conversations or these connections. So until people take responsibility for their actions and understand, first of all, even if you get a crappy mentor, you can learn something from that. Oh my God. Totally. Most of this stuff is repackaged and repurposed information. The real great coach isn't necessarily giving you the techniques and tactics, they're also giving you the confidence and the mindset shifts. That's what great mentors do. So, you know, I'm always like, listen, I've been, I don't want to say ripped off because I've made the decisions, but I've paid money for things that didn't get my expectations met. But again, that's an expectation thing, not necessarily a reality thing. So it's a skewed conversation, but I do believe you're a hundred percent. Correct. I would not be sitting here if I
0: didn't have mentors in my life. 100%. I agree. Totally agree. And sometimes if a student tells me, um, They've had five. I ask them, always ask them before I um, let them come on as a client, what are some of the courses that you've bought? And if their list is like longer than five and they still haven't done deals yet, I'm really leery about bringing them on. But you know, you're absolutely right. Mentors um, are really, really important. Oh, yeah. Talk about would you some more like after you started, you went to that seminar, Mark, Mm -hmm. you started learning about real estate. I'm sure you made a lot of mistakes. What were some of the early coaches that you had after that seminar that helped you kind of? grow in the business?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I still make a lot of mistakes. Still do. <laughs> the, the mistakes are just bigger now, <laughs> which is financially. But no, I mean, at the end of the day, for me, honestly, Joe, I really started understanding, you know, just from going to like the Ria clubs and these different real estate clubs, like everyone's asking the same questions, all the same. They're asking the same questions, just a lot of different ways. So to me, I didn't see real estate as the problem. I saw it as mindset and business building as the problem. Right, real estate's a very easy concept. Houses for sale. You can buy for X. You can sell for X. If you put X amount of work in it, you know it's it's a very simple business. But to me, people overcomplicate it again because they're, they're they're fighting in their head like, "Am I worth it? Am I not? Why would if it's such a good deal? Why would someone sell it to me?" That's a mint. That's a that's a confidence thing. That's not a reality thing. So for me, I just kind of focus on you know coaches that would help me become a stronger person and a mindset like psycho I don't know if you've ever read that book. Great book. About, about it, yeah. You know, magic of thinking big, thinking, grow rich. Like, all, I, I just really, I mean, I've read over 5,000 books, probably 85, 90% are about business and mindset.
0: That's good. I'm making notes by the way, mm-hmm. while you're talking because you're, you keep on reminding me of the other questions I want to ask you. Um, all right. So talk about uh, in your book, you're, you're talking a lot about the real estate business you kind of created while you uh, were first getting started and you're working your butt off right you were having a lot of success but you were working way too hard talk sure. about how you got into that and and what were some of the mistakes you were making
1: well again you know coming where i come from my parents still work hard it's just it's something that's ingrained in us right i'm a midwest boy old school you know i again by the way i'm not afraid of working hard my biggest fear is working hard without big outcome you know, working myself to the bone. So to the point where actually I'd go to my grandmother's house at two in the afternoon with flowers, take her to lunch. And she's like, why aren't you working? Your grandfather worked five jobs to take care of the family, blah, 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 blah. It's almost people and, and, you know, Gary Vee and all these guys, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not, this is a lopsided conversation a little bit, but like at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with working hard, but we almost glorify people that work themselves to death. But in the same sentence, we say, oh, but your health is worth so much more and blah, 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 blah. Well, which is it,
0: (laughs) you know? Real good point. So
1: for me, it's like, I I just kind of focused on, you know, like I said, just trying to figure out how to like grow this business to the next level. what,
0: what, What did your business look like? I mean, how many deals were you doing? What kind of deals were you doing?
1: Well, this, I was using yellow notepad and paper my first five years, you know, I was actually just buying to acquire to hold and just, you know, again, what I learned, I just learned one strategy, buy and hold because I just wanted cash flow. So I ended up getting about 65, 70 doors. It almost became, I almost went bankrupt because of it, because buy buying holds great, but plus $200 a month times X is awesome. As long as they're all paying. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, the city found out I owned a bunch of properties. So then they started coming over and just really harassing me and forcing me to become even a war, like a, like a slumlord, honestly. So, I was very embarrassed of it and I was spending every dime. There was one point in my career, I was sitting in an efficiency apartment with no electricity and gas with a candle reading a book. This is when you had to go to libraries, by the way, right? So, all this stuff was going on, but I was just excited because I knew like, you know, real estate is the out. So, that's how I learned wholesaling to the next level. So, you know, I kind of would do wholesaling. I didn't know that was what it was called back then, but I, I mean, for me to work... I mean, literally 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, it's not, but I was young, 18 to 22, you know, it didn't bother me at all. But, you know, when my grandmother passed away, October 8, 2005, that was the, that was a turning point for me in a massive level. I was 27 years old. I was like, oh my God, life is short (laughs) and I want to enjoy it while I can.
0: Okay, good. So, you start, talk about that transition when you realize, you know what, working this hard for money isn't worth it, right? There's got to be a smarter way to do this. What was your transition from that? Did you just sell all your rentals? Did you um, start wholesaling? What what were you doing? No, what? Yeah. I mean, I was still was
1: doing, I was doing a lot of rehabs. I had rentals and I was doing wholesaling. I was doing all three, but the thing is, is I was doing it. I had a team, but everything had to come through me, right? I was a micromanager at a high level. I would wake up figuring out how to pay people less to make more. That was kind of my mindset. That's what I was taught. Yeah. So, you know, again, until I really understood financial, the, the financial roles of how to grow, like I was always trying to figure how to suppress people to turn them into mules, right? Just like they're going to die or quit on me at the end of the day. It didn't matter how much can I get out of them. I was very selfish. So I was very immature business owner. But, and as I kept growing, you know, I just started transitioning Dina, my wife, she's like, Hey, we should take a trip for a, a week or, and then it turned into a month and it turned into multiple years. But for me, it was like the scariest thing I ever did. I actually had to let go. I had to give control away. I had to let things happen on you know on purpose, like knowing that I'm gonna lose money. And it was so foreign to me because if something would break, I would jump in and fix it. You know, I was like Superman effect. I know a lot of times people are talking about like, oh I'm like I feel like a firefighter every day. And I talk about this in the book. Well, you're probably not a firefighter, you're an arsonist creating your own fires. And that's what I would do. I'd create all these fires yeah. to make me feel like bigger and better about myself. Like if I would just give them the rules and let them go implement, I would never have to hear about it. So that's kind of how it progressed.
0: By the way, I apologize for calling her Deanna. It's oh, De- did you call I, I called her Deanna earlier.
1: Oh, did you? I didn't even notice. Don't tell her I said that.
0: <laughs> we won't. Facebook will, but we won't. <laughs> all right. So uh, when did you decide, you know what? I got to get out of Ohio. I got to start traveling. Did you move to Florida at that point or did you really start traveling at that time?
1: December 31st, 2005 is literally Dina and I left. We went to South Beach, Florida for one month. I had no clue what was going to happen. I had zero. That turned into six months in South Beach. And then we started traveling to different places across the country and then started going out of the country.
0: So what did your business look like at that time in 2005 when you went to Florida? This is right before the market collapsed. So things were going well, it seemed like, right? Oh yeah. I mean, things are going
1: wild. They actually get, went better for us when the market will collapse and we're expecting it to happen again, which we're excited about.
0: But um, what happened, way, I am, I'm very excited about that too. And that sounds really uh, narcissistic, but yeah.
1: for your, for your model, it's amazing. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: So what happened is half of my team left me or I fired them. Right. Cause uh, they, they were very weak. I made them look stronger than they were cause I could step in and fix their problems and their, you know, their weaknesses. So half of them left. I had a great lady leading it, Vanessa, till uh, mid-2007. So she was there during that whole transition. She was, she was literally leading the pack. She's now, Peter's my new Vanessa back in the day, CEO, if you will. And what happened, we were just hiring and, you know, just keeping deals simple. I could do an, back then it was telecalls. It wasn't even video. We would do telecalls and I would be selling houses or property via telecall, commercial, lots, houses, and all the above. And again, I figured out I didn't need to have massive, all these massive marketing pieces. The only thing I kept consistent was my direct mail for buyers, for sellers, right? Have a seller pipeline coming in. If there's deals coming in, there's always buyers around. So I, I just started streamlining the, uh, the seller side. And then on the buy side, I actually handled that myself with uh, my team, Vanessa, and another person an assistant.
0: That's interesting because you've always been really good from what I can tell with building relationships with buyers. Mm -hmm. And uh, why is that so important? Why do you still, I'm not saying that's like you still manage that, but like you're still actively closely involved with that. Does that make sense? Well,
1: I mean, here, listen, at the end of the day, go to any business and say, if you have too many buyers, are you going to go out of business? (laughs) Right, like businesses don't go out of business because they don't—they have, have a lot of buyers. They go out of business because they don't have buyers. And I think the problem is I, what I see in businesses in general is a lot of people are trying to. And again, there's a point in time to systematize some of this stuff, but really, it's about connecting to people and really understanding what their needs and wants are. And a lot of times, people think it's just about money. The truth is, it's about convenience, simplicity. You know, money sometimes legacy. Tax deductions. I mean, there's a lot, of, especially real estate. There's a lot of different reasons why people want to buy our kind of asset.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. So um, you start traveling around the country. You start getting the travel bug. Yeah. And uh, you st- you and Dina start going uh, pretty much literally, not kidding, all over the world. Yeah. Um, and you're still running your business while you're traveling. Talk about that. Yeah. And if you could, Mark, talk a little bit about some of the you know the challenges that you had. Oh yeah. While learning how to do that. Well, the challenge
1: is, especially for someone that was such a heavy, hardcore micromanager, you know, Superman effect kind of business owner, you know, save it at the 11th hour kind of deal person is it really created these massive constraints where it forced me to get tighter with my conversations on the front end with my team, start building out processes, procedures, only connect with me if this happens or that happens, everything else I don't want to hear about. So, I mean, massive Massive, like, think you're having a heart attack, right? You're massive compulsing. You're like, oh my God, you know, hyperventilating. Your heart is like about to explode. You're just anxious, anxiety attacks. And those are real, by the way. I, I've had many, many, many of those. You know, dry heaving at night. You know, my first six months, I mean, I, every other night I was dry heaving because I think I'm losing everything. The world's coming to an end. I'm not worth this. Why am I being selfish with my business? My, You know, I've worked so hard to get here. Why am I going to let it go? And the truth is actually for a nanosecond, it kind of had a, a blip in it. But the truth is it created so much mind power of like how important like all these systems, processes and procedures are. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's another thing I didn't even mention in the introduction is uh, you're, you're really probably one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to systems. In real estate. And if we had five or six hours for this podcast, maybe we would scratch the surface of, of what you do with the systems that you've set up. And uh, literally, Mark, I, I, I'm not trying to be a brown noser here, but it sounds like I am. So whatever, I don't care. I literally know people, guys, that come to Mark from all over the country to sit down with him for a couple hours and talk to him about systems, business, building a team you know, how do you do what you do? How can you help me with my business? I mean, I'm talking like successful people Mm -hmm. coming to Mark for advice. So I'm glad to have you on this podcast.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And not only that, guys, like the good thing about successful people is, you know, the best clients we could ever have, Joe, are people that are slow learners with money, right? (laughs) Kind of joking, sort of. But at the end of the day, no, successful people know that they don't know everything. Right so I hire people actually, I leave next week to go to a 100k group I belong to I have 100k a year it's three meetings a year. that's
0: it you have so, to pay the guys you have to pay a hundred thousand dollars a year to be to get to go to these meetings
1: yeah, three meetings a year two done, two uh, two days <laughs> each meeting but out, you're not paying for who's in there you're paying for who's yeah. not in there right you're paying for the conversations are just elevated creates peer pressure right because I want to step up to the game with my peers. And, you know, we could be down here doing double digits and they're up here doing quadruple digits kind of thing. But for me, it's like, you know, I want to sit down. I love helping the people want to help themselves. It's the most fulfilling thing that we get to do, honestly. Totally.
0: Yeah. You're totally right. Um, okay. So, Mark, you're traveling around the country. What mm-hmm. what did your business look like? Um, were you doing wholesaling turnkeys? Were you still buying and holding? What, what, what kind of real estate deals were you guys doing? I was doing all three, actually. I mean, we were buying. So, in
1: business, right? Again, just to step back one second, my team helped me build the systems. I'm not good at systems. I'm good at yellow, notepad pad and paper and flip phone. But I understand the sequence of the system, right? If that makes sense. So,
0: first of all, when did you finally sell or throw away your flip phone, Mark? I have
1: been throwing it away. I'm going to keep it. About two and a half, three years ago, right? It's been a big transition. So, I'm still trying to figure it out here today. But for me, my team's amazing. Peter, my COO, you know, engineer mindset from, you know, Penn State and all that. He's very good at all that. Um, and my other, t- everyone on my team's awesome. But, good. so, again, I was doing, selling a lot of lots. I was selling a lot of wholesale properties, Um, And then we were doing turnkey and kind of hold for myself. Actually, the way my turnkey company came about is because I was my own client, right? I was buying and holding from afar and I started feeling the challenges, bad management, bad contractors, and just figuring out all those pieces. So we started hiring layers of people to manage on top of that. So I want to manage people, not tenants, if that makes sense. I want to manage the managers, let the managers deploy out and do what they're great at. So I, what I was doing is I was literally getting property in from our acquisition side. This is old school, you know, charts and emails or whatever back then. Flip phone, do a telecall every day or every other day. And then I would sell the assets or create buyer opportunities through the webinars or tele-calls. Hey guys, we have a three bed on the west side of Columbus. Here's what it looks like, blah, blah, blah. By the way, we couldn't show pictures. We couldn't show anything. This is way old school. And then you stimulate, which is not a bad thing actually. It stimulates curiosity. Yeah you can extract and have a conversation and you just talk to them. If it made it, if it fit for them, we, I'd actually hand it off to Vanessa and the assistant and they'd close the deal out. Nice. But
0: I, I was, I led the buyer pack for a long, long time. So you're um, what does your business look like now? How many deals are you guys flipping or buying <coughs> a month, uh, in your right now in,
1: in Ohio? Yeah. So, the team's done 20 to 30 deals a month consistently. Back in, you know, last year, we we're about 50 to 60 a month. Uh, we've kind of changed our motto up a little bit just because we're very heavy in Columbus, which is a great rehab, retail, hotel market. Um, and we spent, we're spending a lot of time and energy there. Uh, we do Columbus and Cleveland are pretty heavy. Uh, we have a lot of turnkey assets in the, both of those markets. So, what we're always doing is now we're asking, okay, it's not just about quantity, it's about quality, right? And I think, you know, sometimes it's it's not cool to tell Joe like, yo, I went from 60 deals to 25 deals this month, right? It's kind of a mental thing. And again, but our profits as a company is drastically growing really with less, with less stress, right? And I think that's where people forget to talk about. It. It's like it's not just about what you've done or what you're doing or what you're making. It's about what you're keeping and what you're able to do with that time that you have on your own.
0: Nice. Yeah, real yeah. smart. I want to ask you a bunch of questions about building how you build a team, how you build a good team around you. Um, but can you talk a little bit first about you're doing 20, 30 deals a month, mainly selling uh, good rental properties to landlords, right?
1: Um, actually, yeah, probably half is a uh, wholesale and hotel markets as well. Okay. So yeah.
0: Can you talk about the advantages and disadvantages of class C versus class B neighborhoods. There's a lot going on in the internet circles right now about, can you really make money with class C properties? And is it, I mean, some people give, are getting in trouble for selling crappy rentals to landlords. You know what I'm saying? I, and I know, you know, of some of these people <coughs> about like how you've been able to stay above the fray uh, and, and, Yeah, listen,
1: I I don't think it matters what location it is. I think it matters on what expectations and what management looks like. Management, first of all, I don't own management companies. I've never made a dime off of management companies. I always think there's a little bit of a cross problem if you have management in this because you sell an asset and then you're dinging them every month for money, plus rehab, plus repairs and all that. So, I've always kept myself third party from that piece, even though sometimes I'd love to own it because I could give much better processes, give a little bit more controls. But again, that is not our core ability. It's a, it's a whole nother animal. But listen, if you opened up a Subway franchise in an A class and or C class, they both work if you have good management and understanding of how the systems work in that kind of environment. So what's the product look like? Maybe in a C property, you're not gonna put granite. Maybe in the B you will, maybe in the A you definitely will. You know, and then, you know, what's the expectations? Are they paying rent on time? As a marketer too, Joe, I think there's a lot of cool things we could do as a marketer. And we're working on this now even more. It's about how to incentivize the tenants to be honest, mm-hmm. hardworking, pay on time, give them gift certificates, give them get like incentivize them to pay on time and all that. And in these markets as well, like a lot of people just kind of like rent it. If you don't pay it, you're kicked out. And they know that's just a cycle, an ever evolving cycle. So how do we get people to stay in these properties? I have tenants that's been in our properties for 19 years and above. Wow. So not everybody, I wish everyone, but like there's a large portion, you know, two, three, four, five years deep. And then management will always make or break everything we're talking about though. You know, it's not necessarily the market. It's always management, honestly.
0: But I, I love that idea of just treating your tenants nicely. You know, being a nice guy. I used to give my tenants. Um, I had about sixteen properties before the market mm-hmm. crashed. I used to give them a twenty if they paid their rent on time. I'd give them a twenty-five dollar uh, gift nice. certificate to Pizza Hut. Nice. You know yeah. what? They loved that. If they were a second late on their rent. They would call me and apologize so profusely. I'm so sorry. I'm late. can I please have my gift certificate? And I'd <laughs> give it to them anyway. And then um, there were a couple of times when I was like a day or two late in mailing it to them. Right. And you they would call know. me and say, hey, you know, Joe, how's where's the gift certificate? You don't realize, <laughs> you don't think about like how big those little things are.
1: Well, um, listen, in these kind of markets, depending on the situation, I mean, you know, a dinner is a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I think you know, to the management's credit as well, again, I'm not giving them any outs, but managing properties is probably one of the hardest businesses out there. Owners don't call you and say you're doing a good job and tenants don't call you and say you're doing a good job. The only time you're hearing from these people is when you're getting screamed at. So, they're always in crisis mode, always, like from my experience, and I've went through many, many, many management companies. So, it's like trying to get them, how do you hand stuff off their plate? They got to be, it's, it's a whole nother animal.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. As a follow-up, kind of what I just asked, um, what kind of properties are you recommending to folks right now? If you've got a guy who wants to get in the business, has got some money to spend, wants to buy some rentals, what are you recommending to them right now to buy?
1: I think honestly start with them. What are their expectations? The problem is where I see why people get in trouble like overselling, right? They're like, I want 20% return and I want B-class, Doesn't exist, especially in a passive environment. Maybe active, or maybe a little bit of a hybrid of that. But if you're looking for like B class, expect eight to ten percent. If you're looking for a C, you know a C plus ish, you might be able to get to ten or twelve percent. So, and again, what's the quality of the product? Is there potential upside potential? And this is investing, right? So, again, I, I know some people get in trouble for like selling assets and they're not what they're supposed to be. But like at the end of the day, you're an adult, and you no one's holding a gun to your head to buy this asset. And oh, by the way, if this asset goes to a hundred thousand, you paid fifty. Now, all of a sudden, you're the genius, yeah. you know. It, but yet, when it goes to forty thousand, now all of a sudden, we're the devil, you know. So no one has a, a you know a magic eight ball. And unfortunately, we live in a culture and a world where people just don't accept responsibilities for their actions.
0: Well, you're absolutely one hundred percent right. But we still have to be careful as turnkey providers, as as wholesalers, to underpromise and overdeliver. And I know that's one of your big philosophies. Sure. Um, because if you don't do that and you're promising the rents are gonna be 800 and the really there are just 700, that makes a big difference in your ROI calculations.
1: Oh, I mean, listen, I mean, that's just no one should do that, period, right? That, but that's basic math 101. I, I think where I see a lot of people getting in trouble in the turnkey space is owners, we, we assume owners make decisions like we make decisions. So, Joe, if you're an owner from us and you bought a C class property, and the management company emails you, Joe. We need your authority to put this new hot water tank in. It's five hundred dollars, and it takes you seven days to respond. That's a problem. Yeah, you know, and and the truth is that happens like eighty five percent of the time. It's not even a little bit of time. It's a lot of time. As an owner, you have to be on top of it. Actually, we give our teams authority if it needs fixed, fix it. You know, not all. Like I said, a large percentage of owners don't do that.
0: Yeah, that's good. So, have you written any books, Mark? About Managing property, uh, managing a rental portfolio, or do you know of any books that you might recommend for that?
1: I really don't know any, honestly. I started a book called The AWB Way. I've never finished it. It was about our company. Five five, started writing it five years ago and really just talking about the mind. Again, it's all mindset stuff, right? Because we have some owners that if they're short 12 cents on their report in their mind, they blow up management. Man, it's like, it's 12 cents, get over it. And then you have the guy that you'll never hear from. Right. So I'm typically that kind of owner. I look at reports and if it is what it is, right. I can't change um, a toilet repair. (laughs) I can manage it, but I can't change it. You know, I could send an email and say, Hey Joe, thanks for making that toilet repair. I'm glad the tent's happy. However, it's the fourth time this year. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a toilet issue. Maybe there's a tenant issue. Like, can you give me some heads up being a little bit more? I think
0: the proactive effect is really lacking on management side by far. I agree. Okay, good. Got a bunch more questions, Mark, and I know your time's valuable. I got about five, six minutes. Okay. Um, one of the things that you inspired me with a long, long time ago, and I don't even know if you remember. I was in Florida for some reason, and we were talking about flying uh, coach versus first class. <laughs> do you, I don't know if you remember this, and like with the W, right? Yes, yep. that's right. Yeah, I do remember. And uh, you were talking to me about why you fly first class, mm-hmm. and you're really kind of like, whoa, I'd never heard of that perspective before. And uh, not all the time, but most of the time now I'm flying first class. And I find that for me mentally with my, what it does to my mindset, what it does to making me think bigger, like, okay, well, I'm flying first class. I'm thinking about how can I make this money back, this extra money that I'm spending. It gives me more time to think. I feel more refreshed and relaxed. Uh, can you talk about that for a minute? You know, your philosophy on, 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 on things like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, listen, I, I think everyone's out there saying, hey, how you do one thing is how you do all things, right? And if you treat yourself first class, you're going to treat your clients first class, you're going to treat your team first class, you're going to treat everybody first class. So, you know, some people say, oh, you know, that's stuck up. Truth is I fly more private now than I do even commercial but again, I'm changing as a person. I'm growing, I'm learning about it. It still scares me when you're cutting massive wires out to people to fly only three hours. You know, you're like, Oh my God, it's a lot of money. I mean, I've still like, it's a process, but you know, you're meeting different people in first class. You know, I think you value yourself and if you've ever been stuck on a tarmac for three hours and you're not sitting in first class, you know what I mean? They're they're not serving food in the coach, you know, first class are giving you drinks and food and snacks and making sure you're comfortable and all that. So that's happened to us with the baby on the board. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. But again, at the end of the day, I don't even know any other class exists now on a, on the plane because I don't search anything else but first class. So I wouldn't even know the price differences.
0: It's, uh, I, I flew to Spain once uh, about two or three years ago. Doing I did a workshop in Barcelona. Oh, nice. And, um, in fact, we should talk about maybe doing one in Spain and, or in England. I, I know some people there that can hook us up. But anyway... Uh, it was, I flew first class and, um, I was so glad I did. It was probably an extra four or 5,000 bucks, but you know what happened? We had a delay, right? And, uh, all of a sudden I missed my connecting flight. So I had to spend the night in the in the airport. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually had a six hour layover. So when I went into the first class lounge, Mm -hmm. I was able to take a shower in a private shower. I was able to take a nap in my own private room. And I was able to eat some really nice food. And I got to that workshop just in time. And I tell you, man, I was refreshed. I was excited. I was able to deliver a ton of really good value to the folks there. And, um, you know, while I was flying first class, even, I was able to think about my business and plan and strategize and and think about, like, so much easier. It was well worth every single penny. And I want to encourage a lot of you guys out there on this podcast, listening to this, thinking about that. Like, how much more productive can you be if um, you, you start acting like the business you want to have, you know, yep. acting like the person you want to become. Absolutely. And not only that, like they
1: don't build first class for nobody. It's for somebody. Why not you? You know, like at the end of the day, it's like, what are we doing all this work for? Yeah. <laughs> to schlep around? Yeah. You know, I know Tim Ferriss talks about like getting best deals in the backseat. Like, I'm not that guy. And again, it's not for everybody, but like I, I can tell you, I've flown coach and I've flown first class. First class is way better.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, good. I want to talk about um, your team, Mark. How do you? Can you just touch on this a little bit? Like, how do you find good people uh, for your team?
1: Man, you got to always hire. Hire fast, fire fast, I think. And I still suck at firing fast because I'm a very emotional business owner. I care about people a lot. But, you know, find people with good skill sets, you know, not even just necessarily good skill sets, but good, good, positive, honest, ethical people, hardworking people. Um, I have a tendency to lean towards Midwest people for some reason. Um, they just have a different work ethic from my experience. Um, I don't do that on purpose. I'm just kind of attracted to them. But you know, from I have multiple COOs. I have different people in different roles, from sales to assistant roles to disposition roles to accounting roles. And you know, I, I think it's just kind of hiring and firing and just learning as you grow. But we all, we only are as good as we become as a person, right? As a leader. So I think that has a lot to do with because hiring is easy. Then you have the next layer of managing, and then also retaining.
0: Do you feel like you're a good manager of your team? Once terrible. You- terrible. Really? Oh, I'm
1: terrible at managing people. I'm really good at retaining, but terrible at managing. I'm not good at the day-to-day stuff. I'm really not. I don't get excited when you call me up and say, hey, nothing's happening. I'm like, what the hell? Why not? Why aren't you on the phone? Get on the phone. Let's make some deals, blah, blah, blah. That's not a good managing skill set. It's more like, well, tell me about what's going on, Joe. Give me the breakdown, the data, not drama effect. And that's kind of why I had to really go to data, not drama, because I really get You know, like, oh, my God, my husband's sick as a dog. You know, my grandfather's about to die. My dog's sick. And I buy into
0: it. And then three weeks later, they're still not doing anything. Uh, You stole my thunder, Mark. Uh Uh-oh. Actually, I stole your thunder. (laughs) I've borrowed that phrase so many times, data, not drama. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? What does data, not drama mean?
1: Yeah, again, like, you know, if you've ever had any kind of employees or people that you've worked with, tenants or whatever, you know, they're going to give you all this drama of why something can't be done. And or hiring and firing as well. Like it takes a little. It takes a lot of the emotion out of hiring and firing and keeping people by data. How many calls are you making? Right. If you say, Hey, I need to do ten deals a month, and I know I, I know you need to make a hundred deal, hundred calls per deal. You need to make a thousand calls a month. And we're on the twenty fifth, and you've only made three hundred calls. We have an issue because you're not going to make seven hundred calls in the next five days. Especially if you've only done three hundred in the first twenty five. So you got kind of going through there and um, just focusing on the data and let the data give you direction and confidence and higher fire through
0: that. And you guide your decisions for your business. Well, process. listen, as a leader, our job
1: is not to protect the individual, but the company as a whole, you know, so I don't make decisions based off emotionals and the drama one-on-one. I'm really looking to the global picture. Are they affecting, you know, the, you're only as good as your weakest link in anything, let alone the business. So I'm looking for the weakest link, trying to either figure out how to uplift them and or get them out.
0: That's really good. And and especially when it comes to knowing your numbers, you're huge on that. Like what marketing is working, what isn't working? Um, And uh, what is our cost per lead? How many average leads do we need per contract? Can you talk a little bit about the numbers that that you're specifically looking for?
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm not necessarily in the weeds on the marketing side as much as I used to be. I'm more focused on like I always talk, if you're on an island for 10 minutes, who are you talking to? What numbers are you hearing as your KPIs, key performance indicators? So I'm more listening, like how many deals closed, how many deals got contracted, how many calls got made. I can kind of get like a gist of, you know, where things are going tomorrow, next week, next month, where you see a lot of times, right, Joe, in our businesses, our business is a delayed effect, right? So when a deal, if you make a hundred grand this week, it didn't happen this week. It probably happened 30 days prior. So we got to be conscious of that as we're developing and growing and knowing just like what these data points mean. But everyone has,
0: interpretates data differently. Nice. Okay, good. Mark, uh, we got to go. I wish we had more time. Okay. Uh, you're, you're big on Instagram. You're out there on Facebook a lot. You have a great entertaining channel on Instagram. How do people find you there?
1: Again, Mark Evans DM that's the best way to find me on any kind of social media platform. And uh, yeah, I'd love to interact with you. Let me know you came from here and I'll, uh, I'll hook them up too. I got two good reports. I could share with them from the book, Joe, if they let me know they came from your show. So good, just let you know, and then I can shoot you guys two things of one KPIs, kind of what KPIs are. And then two, um, how to uh, the path to $1 million in your business.
0: All right. So they contact you on Instagram or Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you have a website you want to give out Mark or? Yeah, I mean,
1: 10minutebusinessowner.com
0: as well. Get over there, opt in, and, uh, you know,
1: we're sharing data and uh, information over there on a consistent basis.
0: 10minutebusinessowner.com. Mark Evans DM, if you look him up on Instagram, you'll see him. Follow him. Uh, follow him on Facebook as well. You get a lot of good inspirational nuggets from Mark that he starts talking about, and you'll always laugh whenever he says, peace! <laughs> exactly <laughs> which, uh, which I, I roll my eyes and laugh every time you yeah. say that so <laughs> peace <Yeah. laughs> all right hey awesome. uh thanks a lot mark appreciate you being on the show and um a lot of people have been commenting down below in the facebook group um i shared it with you so you should see it there um some people are asking you about your cigars And, uh, so let if you want, go in there and, uh, respond to them about your cigars and tell them what you like, but uh, thanks again, Mark. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Thank you, Joe. Peace. Peace. (laughs) Later, buddy. Thank you guys. See ya.